Hello, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, PenLine's opinion editor, coming to you with another Battleground PA. Today, we have, as usual, a very lot to talk about. We're going to start, I think, with what's going on right here in Pennsylvania, but we're going to have to expand it to the nation and then to the world. So stay tuned. I am assured that Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris will join me to help make some sense of this very troubled world. Stay tuned. This is Battleground EA, a Penn Live podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, I'm back. And if you would like to join us, please feel free to do so. You can do it by Twitter or Facebook at Battleground PA, or you can, of course, send an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org. So welcome again to everyone. And I have to welcome my two trusted brains here, Rajette Harris and Jeffrey Lord. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. Everyone. Another right. week. Another week, another week of incredible news, and who knows where the next week will take us. But we've got so much to talk about locally as well as nationally and internationally. So I just want to remind our, our listeners here that Rajette Harris represents our Democratic idealists, but she is an independent thinker. We've learned that. And we have Jeffrey Lord who is a loyalist. He definitely loyal to Trump and to the Republican Party, but he can sometimes come up with some ideas of his own too, right, Jeffrey? <laughs> That's right. Remember, in my youth, I was, a, as I'm remembering with all of this Joe Biden plagiarism stuff that's in the news, I was the one who caught him out on plagiarizing Bobby Kennedy because, yes, indeed, in the day, I was a serious Bobby Kennedy fan. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. You were definitely a Kennedy fan. You should have been a Democrat, I think. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was my parents' concern, but they wisely let me go my own way, and eventually I returned to the fold. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. Well, here we go. Well, let's get started, guys. We have some good news, I think, and I, I want to hear what you think about this. We do have the first police reform legislation passed in Pennsylvania, and one of the first throughout the nation. It's House Bill 1841 and House Bill 1910. I have that right in front of me so I can remember. And while they don't really revolutionize the world, they certainly are a good start. Uh, Rajat, do you want to take a stab at this first? House Bill 1841, which will require police agencies to do thorough background checks of any new hires. You want to talk about that one first? or? It's definitely a step in the right direction. It's something that we should have had. You know, you can have a bad record at one police department and just move and get hired right away. Um, so it's definitely a, a step in the right direction. My only concern is, for one thing, the Black Lives Matter goes deeper than just, you know, police reform. And sometimes I think we forget that because when we talk about the criminal justice system as a whole, it's also the DAs. It's also the judges. It's also the juries. Yeah, and then, of course, there's other parts outside the criminal justice system that I bring up on a weekly basis. You know, the disparities in employment, wages, health care, education, and so on. But I'm about the solution. So I'm glad that all of the marches and the protests are finally turning into policies that are being implemented. So I definitely think it's a step in the right direction. Well, Jeffrey, uh, you and I, we generally agree because we're older heads that it's got to be step by step. It can't be all at once, right? I guess that's where I- It doesn't work I that way, right. Side. But why don't you tell, I like House Bill 1841, but I have to tell you, 
I also think it's a little bit, falls a little bit short. I don't know how you feel. I think this information ought to be available to the public or at least to the media, but what, you know, through right to know, what what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. You know, this was something that I, I think along with a lot of people had not given much thought to until all of this. And looking at it, it just seems to me basic common sense. You know, as somebody who worked in the White House, I can tell you I had to go through, now this is years ago, I had to go through uh, you know, an FBI background check That's right. before they let me in the building. <laughs> it just seems to me, whether you're working for the president or whether you're working for the lower Paxton Police Department, you should have a background check in any kind of sensitive position like this. And particularly in a situation, as we've learned to our sorrow in the George Floyd case, where you had a police officer who had numerous problems uh, that should have been called out on the spot. Yeah. I mean, you know, why was he even in this position in the first place? And so hopefully this is this is designed to, you know, put a halt to all of that kind of thing, which I think is very good. I mean, the police should know who they're hiring. And frankly, since they're public officials, the public should know. I mean, you know, this should be the kind of thing where a reporter at Penn Live clicks the uh, button on the computer and gets right to a site that shows it all. Thank you, Jim. Um, well, but maybe part of the problem, though, is, you know, going back to a reference you two, you know, seem to agree on, is that as old heads, things <laughs> go slow. But maybe that's the problem. We have too many old heads in positions of power. And that's Marjette? why things are moving so small. I mean, when you look at Congress, the average you. age is 70 years old. So maybe if you get more people of my generation and younger in there, Things might move a little quicker <laughs> because we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, Rajette, as an old head, I have to agree with you because older heads do go slower. Now, sometimes it's wiser. But let me tell you, Jeffrey, I think she's got a point. I mean, I think the young people come in with a new dynamism, with a new energy, and they want to shake stuff up. They want to get stuff done. They don't want to simply get comfortable like we like to do sometimes. I mean, can you argue with that, especially with something like no, this? No, no. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the obvious point about a human life is that we're all young once, and everybody who's young more or less feels that way with reason. And that, not to wax religious here, that's why God made young people to shake things up, and then they get older, and they have more experience, and, you know, then there's somebody else that's new and young and all this kind of thing, and it goes on eternally so. I I think that's... Sometimes those voices are marginalized, and they really need to be powerful and within the mix, at least. Now, I I agree with you. It can't just be all hotheads or all, you know, but there has to be... Well, I I just, to use use an example that you would be familiar with, if Cole, your son, who's quite the activist, believes X and runs for office and gets elected, that's the way to deal with it, or one of the ways, certainly, to deal with it. So he gets elected and he's in whatever office, he brings change. And then, sad to say, one day Cole will wake up and find out that there's some 20-year-old kid out there saying, <laughs> Cole, my man, you're, right. you're, you're over the hill. Right. <laughs> Move over. No, that's <laughs> and that's the, way, that's the way the system works, and it should work. Martin Luther King Jr. was, what, 34 years old when he gave the I Had a Dream speech? He yes. was in his early 30s. It's, it's over yeah. It's over 50 years old, and we're still talking about that same dream. So how slow can you get? <laughs> well, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite Robert Kennedy's quotes, uh, and I'm not even sure it was his originally, but it was that youth is not a time of life, it's a state of mind. And I do think that that's important. Ronald Reagan was one of the youngest people I ever met, and he was well into his 70s. 
know you wax poetic about Reagan, but he does not, that doesn't sound the same to all people. I mean, the African-American community wasn't an ideal. So yes, he was an ideal in some places, but not in others. And some people thought he was a bit behind the times, especially with race relations issues. But I think the point is being made that there is a role for young people but it, it really, they shouldn't be marginalized. And they are bringing, in, let's face it, they're bringing a whole new dynamism to this. They're out there demanding change. And guess what? Suddenly people are listening. Now let's talk about House Bill 1910. This is going to require enhanced training for police officers. Now let's talk about that. You know, that's another no-brainer. The one good thing that's happened, Rajat, I think, is that there seems to be a growing consensus that we are still dealing with systemic racism. That means there's a system that's been created that at so many levels works against people of color and especially African-Americans. You would think that if that's acknowledged, there would be efforts inside places like police departments where people carry guns and can kill to make them aware of it and to address it. This has not happened. What do you think? Is this going to make a difference, Roget? I think it's a start. You know, I was it was disconcerting over the weekend uh, when President Trump had an interview and was trying to make the argument that black people and other racial minorities don't there isn't discrimination or bias against police with these groups. And that was very disheartening to see because we do have to acknowledge it before we can fix it. I do think more training. What I liked about the second bill that we're discussing is that it requires police to go through psych evaluations mm-hmm. every yep. period of time, especially if they are going through an incident where a gun has to be pulled or something of that nature. Because I don't think we realize what they go through psychologically at times, and that should be dealt with before it escalates to a George Floyd situation. Yeah, Jeffrey, I'm assuming that you think that's a good idea. For I think this bill calls for police officers to take post-traumatic stress disorder tests every two years. I'll tell you, that part part of it, I I do agree with. I mean, to me, that's just simple, basic common sense. None of us are in the military, but we're all aware that people who come back from Afghanistan or Iraq or what have you can have PTSD, and, and it's a problem. And I don't see why, given the nature of their job, that police officers wouldn't be vulnerable to this as well, if they particularly if they you know, had a, a use of force incident in their life. I mean, well, that, it would yeah, seem to me that even within 30 days when they've had a lethal use of force, they have to take this test. Yes, I, and I think that's good. Now, here's where I disagree. I get concerned with treating people differently. And I get concerned that bias training, quote unquote, is not much more than political correctness from which you are forbidden to disagree. And I, I think that is a seriously large problem well beyond police. I mean, this whole business with this reporter from the New York Times who quit in the last 24 hours or so and wrote this incredible letter to her employer talking about what she has been made to undergo. And and while she, I don't think she uses the phrase, what she's talking about is she was not politically correct and she was pilloried by her colleagues for not being that. I just think you have to be very careful when you get into this kind of thing, particularly if you're using this kind of stuff to, quote unquote, train so I'm, police I'm assuming, officers. I'm assuming you don't think it's possible to have a correct type of bias training or sensitivity training. You think that. Well, I'm skeptical. I am skeptical. I am skeptical. skeptical. Exactly. Okay. Have you ever gone through it, Jeffrey? Have you ever done that, any kind of. No, no. I, I mean, by the time, you know, I was on my own, I, I don't think these kind of tests were yet 
around. It's very common, though. These type of trainings are very common, especially through your businesses and corporations, because I've been through some myself. They're very common. You know, and maybe maybe I can jot down on my list of 10 zillion things to do before I die. I should go take one just to see what it's like and write it up. Well, I think it's probably not a bad idea because I've, as part of large corporations, they put you, that not put you through, but they allow you to understand a little bit more about how you create. It's a psychological thing. We all know that we have certain biases. I'm sure I have one, one, only one, and, but, but you identify it. You kind of know, oh, right, I do prefer the color red. So when people wear red, I'm more likely to hire that person than the person who wore yellow. Got it. Okay, I'll be aware of that. It's that kind of thing that helps you better know yourself and how all the forces around you are impacting your decision making. So, you know, again, I hear your concern that you don't want everyone thinking the same way, but it's helping you to make sure you're not acting unconsciously in a way that's hurting a group of people, even that that you might not be aware of or, or want to do. You know, and they're they're also going to do annual training on appropriate use of force. Do you have any issue with that, Jeffrey? No, no, no. I I think, you know, I do think that's it. I mean, one of the things that I think just generically is hard. It's hard for people who are not police officers in this case, which is all three of us, to imagine what it's like if you are a police officer and you are suddenly face to face with somebody who is violent or potentially violent and very physical and all that kind of thing. We just basically have no idea what it's like. And I can only imagine, without knowing for sure, that, you know, an officer, even if trained, is suddenly saying, oh, my God, what do I do? And that leads to, you know, every variation on the planet, a lot of them not good. But that's why but that's what's so great about these trainings is because a lot of times police officers approach cars and approach certain individuals with those biases thinking this individual is potentially violent. And when they go reach for their wallet, they think they're reaching for a gun. That person ends up dead, and they really were just reaching for their wallet. So that's what's so great about these type of trainings, because that happens a lot too, where you approach a car. You know, that happens in a black community. I know if I get stopped for a taillight, my heart starts racing. You know, right. because you're concerned because of what's <laughs> what happens to other people that look like you. So, you well, know, I can tell you, I, it, I forget if I've told you this, but I will tell it again. When I lived in Washington, D.C., I was a, I, I lived on this one block long street, a couple blocks from Capitol Hill. that was all old townhouses and we were all friends and all this kind of thing. And with a next door neighbor on my side, we were going to a party across the street. And my next door neighbor had a couple that I knew who were friends visiting from out of Washington. And we were supposed to bring liquor to the party. So the husband of her friend and myself were assigned to jump in her car, drive to the nearby liquor store, get the pick up the booze and then bring it back so we could take it to the party. It's a rainy night. We go out. We mission accomplished. Neither of us had been drinking. We're on our way back. And he says, you know, there's a police car following us. We get to the bottom of our one block long street pullover. The cops come over. They start that, you know, whose car is this? Produce the ID. And, you know, we had to say not our car. Well, the bottom line is they eventually pulled us out of the car, had us spread eagled against the trunk, patted us down 
all of this. And all of this, because, and I kept saying, you know, the woman who owns this car is several houses right up the street here. All you have to do is ask her. Well, they told me to be quiet. And the bottom line was it was a mistake on their part. It was a car that resembled one with the, what do you call it, the VIN, the vehicle identification number. And they finally realized when they got it all checked out, it wasn't the same car. They apologized. We got back in and <laughs> went on our way. But yes, I can tell you, they, the officers the officers were white, and we were both white. And, you know, it was a scary situation. Jeffrey, that's a great story. I, and, and we're going to have to take a break here. But I, the, the issue here is that I think that's the kind of thing that African-Americans, especially men, go through quite frequently every day. But it sometimes doesn't end with an apology. And we've seen too many right, times right. when it doesn't. So why don't we take no, a break? When we come back, we'll, we'll pick this up. And we'll then move on to talk a little bit about coronavirus. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Okay, we are back as promised. And if you want to join us, send an email, topics at battlegroundpa.org, or you can join us on Facebook or Twitter at battlegroundpa. So, when we left off, we were talking about police stops and how they can turn out differently depending upon Joyce, your case, right? Yes, go ahead, Jeffrey. I, I, I just wanted to finish that thought by saying I understand exactly what you and Roger are saying. And we all know who Senator Tim Scott is from South Carolina. He's the Republican. He's an African-American. And he says that he personally has been stopped seven times while driving. And on one occasion, they thought he was imitating a U.S. senator. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. Well, we also now have this other video. I don't know if you guys have had a to see it or at least heard about it, yes. but showing the Allentown police officer placing his knee on a man's neck. What are your thoughts about that, Jeffrey? And then we'll turn to Rajette. <laughs> you know, I get exasperated, I have to say. You know, at this point, after all of this turmoil and the incident in with George Floyd and then another incident in Atlanta, which I think was very different and all that. But still in all, with all of this, for any police officer in his right mind to, to not think that you can do what this officer apparently did and not immediately have a problem is, I just, well, I think know, boggles I, my know, mind. You know, Rajat, I, I think we assume that everybody is aware and everybody's, you know, talking about it. But it's clear that there's some people who are just in their own worlds, may not be aware of what's going on in the world. I mean, what else, how else could you explain this Allentown police officer placing his knee on a man's neck while he's being video? I mean, does this make any sense? I think some of it might be arrogance. Uh, you know, there's a lot of power with being a police officer. And sometimes mm. I wonder if police officers used to be bullied as children and they go into mm. that field. And I'm not saying all police officers, but it makes you wonder if there's a psychological there. But it just also goes to show that we can march and protest every day. But if we don't implement legislation like the two bills that were just signed into law, when you keep building on those, of course, it's just not going to stop. That's and I'll correct. be curious to see if, if in the past this police officer has had other instances where he has been overly aggressive, that maybe he shouldn't be a police officer. Maybe they should do personality assessments and whatnot. I don't know what all goes on through the police academy, but maybe they need to do personality assessments to see if, you know, people are, are even fit to be well, a police officer. Well, now the Allentown 
council wants to discuss systemic reforms to the police department. So we'll see. We'll keep our eyes on that one, guys, and see where that leads. But it sounds like we're on the same page, except I think, Jeffrey, you're concerned when we start talking about assessments that we're not assessing people for their political views, but for their humanity to, or, or their ability to do the job, right? Right, right. That's, yeah. I mean, I just think that this, the police department of all the agencies of a local government should be completely and utterly professional. Oh, and I agree with you, but it's one of the fields where you can't make a mistake because, you again, you can get another job, right. you can get another car or even a shirt, but you can't get another life. So we and have to be mistakes are going to be made, so that, you know, there needs to be an education process here. But not on a daily basis. I'm talking what, about what? the mistakes. These uh, oh, mistakes. Yeah, well, no, well, if somebody... If somebody's doing this, some version of this every day, why are they there? I mean, that's the kind of, I think we all agree on that. That's why I think that knowing their records and, you know, having them accessible to the public all of the time, 24-7, is very, very important. I mean, to, to me, a police officer is, officer is no different than the governor of Pennsylvania or the president of the United States or a senator or a congressman or whatever. They're a public, they're a public <laughs> official. And as a public official, if you if you want to go and do public service, whether it's run for office or be a police officer, your public has a right to know what your background is. And and honestly, Jeffrey, I mean, and we'll, we're going to move on. But also psychologically, you can have a psychological evaluation. That's just most people accept that you can look and see is this person really. Look, I remember when I was working with the city and we had to go through this. We were allowed to go through this training that police officers go through, just a simulation of what if you were had a gun and you were going and doing a stop. I couldn't do it. I could not even play like that because it was so stressful. <laughs> so right. I'm not cut out for a police officer, right? So anyway, guys, let's move on to the what's going on with the coronavirus. Now, okay, last time we talked, the numbers were going up, and Jeffrey said, but the deaths weren't. Well, now it seems like that's not the case again. And now we have another Pennsylvania senator testing positive. As senator Anthony Williams, he's a Democrat, has tested positive for the coronavirus. This is around the nation. It's not looking good. I mean, and again, we still haven't heard what was the rationale for not telling people about the Republican senator who tested, a representative who tested positive. Any thoughts on this, Jeffrey? Well, I, I just, you know, the, the thing that bothers me here about this is I think we're looking for the perfect solution. And I don't think, frankly, when it comes to this kind of thing, that the perfect solution is there. I think we can always do better, for sure, without question. But I, I just think that we are, I mean, we still haven't eradicated the flu, for heaven's sakes. That's true. We haven't eradicated flu. And, and now, look, we're hearing that there might be bubonic plague out there coming at us. Oh, again. my goodness. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, one of, the, one of the just basic things of humanity is that there is disease out there. And what you want, ideally, is to, is to get, um, at a minimum, get control of it and at a maximum, eradicate it, as some diseases have in fact been eradicated. To be perfectly candid, I thought the Black Plague was long since eradicated, but clearly not. Even Fauci and other doctors uh, have been warning us that there's going to be more pandemics. But that, to me, Rajette, makes me figure out why isn't there protocol? Why isn't it there? Or is there? I mean, maybe there's something we don't know. When you know you're sick or when you feel like you're going to go get a test, 
it seems to me even when you're going to get the test, if you know that there's some question, you should remove yourself and 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 really not be around other people. Am I off the mark with that? Tell me. I'm happy to be off the mark. No, you're not. You know, the coronavirus is here to stay. And as Jeffrey just said, we don't have a handle on it yet. We might have to do what other states are doing, that people who go out in public or not in public, but in public places that won't wear masks, they're finding them. I did see in uh, one of the papers that police are going to start going into restaurants and places like that, malls, to see if people are wearing a mask. Because unfortunately, if I'm in a grocery store, this happened to me when I uh, had my ankles broken. I need one of the ride carts. But you see people on the ride carts, you know, don't need them. They just don't feel like walking. But the manager of the store told me they can't ask them to prove that they have a disability or they can be sued. Wow. But, right. but a police officer can ask you. So right. in that instance, that's something that will be helpful in the future because people are going to have to wear a mask. Whether you believe it exists or not, <laughs> we're going to have to have some concessions until we do get a hold on it. One of the problems that we have here is, uh, and, I, and I'm you know, looking at a little data here that, that mentions this, that one of the problems that Governor Cuomo has talked about, and I think Governor Newsom in California as well, is that the problems aren't coming so much from open bars and restaurants and that kind of thing. They're happening from private gatherings, which is to say birthday and graduation parties and summer barbecues and all that. Well, all of those are almost impossible, if not impossible, for a government, local, state, or federal, to control. I mean, if you're going over to your Aunt Nellie's house for a barbecue for, you know, cousin Jane, who just graduated, I mean, what is the local police? I mean, how are they going to know? What are they going to do? How can you control whether, you know, Uncle Bertie shows up with a mask or doesn't and all this kind of thing? Jeffrey, I hear what you're saying, but I, I actually, not, I'm not reading the, the information. I'm getting the same way. I, uh, much of what I've read says, yes, indeed, it's these bars and these places where especially young people have been mingling and forgetting their mask and getting too close. And then they go back to grandma's house. That's so. Well, I, I let, let me just let me just read you this quote, this quote as, from as problem. Let me just read you this quote from from Governor Cuomo. Quote, we thought maybe they were taking public transportation. And we've taken special precautions on public transportation. But actually, no, because these people were literally at home. Much of this comes down to what you do to protect yourself. Government has done everything it could. Society has done everything it could. Now it's up to you, unquote. I think that's right. Well, for for argument's sake, say you're right, Jeffrey, and people are getting this from family gatherings or whatnot then that same individual is going into the giant food store then without wearing a mask. So that's right. where, so, you know, if you want to spread it among you and your family members, that's your business, but don't give it to me. I think that's well, the I, point. I, of, I mean, I think they ought to be wearing the, masks. Well, but that's and, the point I'm making is that they're going to be monitoring the uh, public spaces because you're right. You can't control what people do you know, in the privacy of their home, but you can't control what they do in public places. I mean, I, That's the difference. It seems to me offhand that we, if not solved it totally, but well on our way to solving it, because I can't go to anything around here in, in terms of a store without a sign right there at the front that says you have to wear a mask to get in. 
Right, yeah. but Which not, everyone I do. Is not everyone is following. Well, that's great. That's you, the three of us might be following that rule, but everyone's not. Well, they won't let you in. The store owners won't let you in. Yeah, I've seen people in stores without yeah, masks. And maybe they're claiming out. They don't really want to confront anyone who doesn't want right. to wear it. Now, the question is, I do hope we're making some headway now that we see the president has worn a mask. I mean, I'm hoping <laughs> that may send a message that it's still quite manly to wear a mask. Don't you? I think wish. I wish. In addition to that, he'd worn a mask for, over his eyes, and then he would look like the Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, we can joke about it, but we know that people look at their leaders and they take cues from leadership, especially uh, those people. Uh, let's just face it: the people who were most opposed to this frequently were among the the con more conservative right wing folks who didn't want right. to wear masks. So, and also he canceled his campaign right? rail. He's canceled his campaign rally this past weekend. Now we can argue the reasoning why he did cancel it, but the point is he did. And hopefully he continues that trend moving forward because- The Republican uh, the, convention I understand is now gonna be open air. They, they're claiming some people got the virus in Tulsa from his rally. Now again- Yeah, I think you know, that's been debunked. Well, they were just talking about it last night. <laughs> but well, again, I saw a story this morning that said that the idea that the Tulsa rally spread all of this was not correct. Well, well not all of it was. Because it only makes sense that it would have spread, Jeffrey. Come on. The, 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 the well, yeah, but you can say that about the protests, open air or not. Exactly. There they are all crowded together that was open all air. over America. Of course they would spread the virus. Except these are open air things, which is less likely to do so, which is why I think I applaud them. I think it's great that the, the, if they're going to hold a convention, do it in the open if they're going to do that, which is apparently from what we know now, less likely to spread, especially if people are social distancing and wearing masks. But I, I do see now that, uh, I mean, the question is, are all of this flip-flopping going to hurt the president? Um, and I, it looks like it is hurting him in the polls. And they, we have now states up for well, play. Joyce, up for play before Joyce, I, What's going on there? I would I would point to the Alabama Senate race where he came out strongly against Jeff Sessions, who got trounced just yesterday it in the be, Alabama Republican primary. Trump. Yeah, it could be uh, Jeff Sessions. Nobody liked him. <laughs> well, and Alabama is a huge red state. We saw in previous primaries uh, that candidates that President uh, Trump endorsed actually lost to uh, a, another. I'm just president. telling you guys, the president has a lot of support out there and it's not reflected in the polls. And it wasn't four years ago either. Good point. I think that's a very good point. But let's uh, talk about the change of mind. I'm actually glad the president has stepped back from stopping international students. Uh, from being able to stay in this country if they are not going to on-campus classes. I mean, I don't know what that was about. Why? And I mean, I guess it was to encourage things to open it. But again, don't you think, Jeffrey, with what you know, that we really should be very, very cautious about urging reopening complete of schools and urging kids to go back to campuses and to not at least have the option of online studies? I, I, it's a very complex issue. And as I've said to you, I, I've had a lengthy conversation with uh, my cousin, the school teacher in New York City, who's also a mom of two young kids. And it is a very complex problem. There is just no question about it. I want to look into a little more of these studies from places like Iceland and Germany and France, where, in fact, they have sent their kids back to physical schools and they have not had the kind of problems everybody expected. So I would like to see what is it that they are doing 
that we can do. There, there must be something. They're clearly they're doing something right. What is it? There's got to be a good solution to this. But I'm I'm listening to educators just in general who say the, the in person, you know, in the room school is critical for a kid. Yeah, if you if you uh, can stay alive, it's critical. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, gonna... well, you know, it's not the kids that have the problem. It's the I teachers. The I mean, the kids. Some of the kids. The kids. Have not all kids are in perfect health, uh, Jeffrey. Some of them well, have- no, and if they're not, they shouldn't be in there. Would be my thing. If you've got an underlying condition, and and my cousin said to me, she had one student. She teaches teenagers who who has a number of I, I don't know what they were, but underlying conditions. She said she'd never survive. Sure. So we're kind of on the same page. Only those students who feel comfortable enough to go back in should go, and, that, and the others should be allowed other opportunities, including international students. Uh, Rajet, I don't know how are you falling on this. Well, that was a ridiculous policy. And with all the states going in together uh, with the lawsuit, even our attorney general, Josh Shapiro, was in on that lawsuit. I'm sure his legal team probably told him he was probably going to lose that one. He's lost so many court cases in the past month or two. I guess he, you know, he gave up on that one. But my issue with the whole education aspect is the way they're going about it. I don't think and I know we discussed this last week. But they shouldn't be threatening to take funds away. We have bills now in the Senate that McConnell is pushing that if schools don't reopen completely, you know, they're going to try to take away the funding. I think the president finally realizes he doesn't have sole control to take that funding away. Um, that it would, ha- And I don't see Congress voting in anything like that. But the fact they're still pushing that to push their school choice I'd say agenda, give the funding to the I parents. think it's wrong. That is wrong. They need to be working with the states and that's working with the school boards to do what's best for the children, not just using a political agenda. You don't use politics when it's convenient for you. And that's what well, the you know, let me let me right just now. point out that the, that the Los Angeles I was so amazed, except not amazed when I saw this story. The Los Angeles Teachers Union uh, has issued its demands for returning. And one of them is defunding the police. Now, with all due respect, and there was another one that had absolutely nothing to do with whether or not they should be back in the classroom because of COVID-19. Too many of these folks politicized this stuff, and that is not helpful. Well, I think we're all in agreement. None of this should be politicized, not going back to schools, not whether kids are going in to be exposed to the virus or their teachers will be exposed, and medicine shouldn't be politicized. We should get the Hard truth. So let's end on this. How's Dr. Fauci doing with the administration, Jeffrey? Is he okay? Are they really okay? Please tell us because we need this guy, right? Well, I, I think he's fine. You know, I think this gets overplayed, to oh, be perfectly good. candid. I'm glad about that. <laughs> he, 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 he has disagreements with the president. Well, duh. Anybody, person A, can is going to have disagreements with person B from time to time. It's not a united front. Dr. Fauci, and I've never met him, but he was there in Reagan days as well, has, has in fact, he's not God, has in fact been wrong. There he was on 60 Minutes saying there was no need to wear masks months ago. There he was before that saying that the chances of the virus coming from China to the United States were, quote unquote, low. I mean, he, he has gotten it wrong, and I don't hold this against him. I'm just saying that there is no one in this entire situation who's been infallible. Everybody has been wrong one way or another. I mean, the Washington Post ran a big headline back in January, get a grip, G-R-I-P-P-E, 
saying that this was just no big deal. CNN was saying it was no big deal. People have gotten this wrong, which should be in and of itself an educational factor here, that no one, in this case, Dr. Fauci included, is immune to making a mistake. And we just need to realize that, that just, just because Dr. Fauci or someone else says something doesn't mean that it's the gospel. Well, but that's the same thing with the president, too. You know, the president hasn't even talked to Dr. Fauci since the beginning of June. He said the doctor said that himself over the weekend, because even though the president doesn't include him, as you know, other people do. And the president himself is still acting like this isn't as serious of a situation as it is. And that's a you know, that that's just a problem. And unfortunately, the doctor is an independent thinker. And when you don't blindly follow the president has an issue with you. It, you know, it is what it is. Well, we're getting into another area that we don't have time for, but I will say this. I mean, I, I felt this right from the get-go of the Trump candidacy, not to mention once he became president. And I think the president finally got onto it. But there are all kinds of people in the Washington bureaucracy who just can't stand the president because he's an outsider. Right. And we're going therefore... We're going to have to stop here, Jeffrey, because that right. really is opening up another whole thing. But the point I think is, it's just one thing that the outsiders aren't happy with the president either. I'll just leave okay. it at that. Okay, guys, we're going to have to cut the battleground right here. I know you guys are ready for another slot, but let's take that up next time, outsider versus insider. But for now, let's just hope we the best guess we have, the best chance we have is to listen to the medical guidance, even though. This is a novel thing we're going through. It's never been gone through before. But you know what? The minds I want looking at it are those that do not have politics or anything else, but only have medicine and science in their in their focus. So with that, I'm going to thank Rajette and Jeffrey Lord for joining us on yet another Battleground PA. And look, guys, stay tuned. Check out Pin Live's opinion page and you'll have more information. But with that, have a great rest of your day. This was Battleground PA. Be sure to rate and subscribe to us so you don't miss a beat. Have an idea for an episode? Tweet us at Battleground PA or email us at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Meanwhile, stay in the know between episodes on penlive.com. Battleground PA is hosted by PenLive's opinion editor, Joyce Davis, and is produced by Penn Studios director, Salim Michelle McClouf, and edited by Martin Boutros. More info and past episodes can be found at battlegroundpa.org.